I'm Shanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast hello everybody and welcome into episode 845 of the pack a day podcast my name is andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl my special guest today is the one and only Maggie Loney. She is one of the queens of the Packaday podcast. You can find her on the Packs What She Said podcast, on She Said TV. You can find her on Happy Hour on Game On Wisconsin. Maggie, your resume is uh, getting right up there with mine in regards to how many different things that we are doing at one time. Um, I'm very jealous of all the amazing things that you are doing. You are absolutely <laughs> killing it. So thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and joining me today here on this Monday edition of the Packaday podcast. Hey, no, I really appreciate you having me on at such short notice. And uh, I honestly, I don't know how you manage your schedule. So I hope that mine does not rival that anytime soon. <laughs> well, you are you're <laughs> definitely getting there. And I'm not exactly sure how I manage it either. But so far, it's working. And my wife hasn't murdered me yet. So here we are. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a very interesting Jaguars-Packers game. Of course, Packers win 24 to 20. I think, Maggie, a lot of us, myself included, were hoping for a little bit more of a, a better, you know, just a better overall performance than what maybe the Packers put on paper today. I think it was easy to glean from Matt LaFleur that I think he was expecting a little bit better. I know we don't exactly hand out style points in the NFL. A win is a win, and you don't necessarily need to apologize for it. But at the same token, this seemed a little lackluster. What was kind of your main takeaway from today's game? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway is that I still have questions. And when you're going up against a one and seven team, you kind of think that you're going to answer some of those questions. And I feel like I left the game with more questions about the performance of the defense, the offense, the energy. Um, it, it just didn't seem like a holistic Lambeau field game. And I know the weather was a factor just like it was with the Vikings, but you know, this should have been a team that was juiced and ready to play a one and seven team. And I mean, they ended up at the, the top seed in the NFC right now anyway, just kind of out of luck. But you wouldn't really know that based on the performance that we saw yesterday. No, you wouldn't. And, and it's something that's interesting because this is Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I think everyone knows that there's going to be some crappy games. You play eight games at Lambeau. You're guaranteed one game at Soldier Field, which this year is going to be on January 3rd. So, you know, that's going to be, you know, fairly crappy conditions. If you're playing in, in January in Lambeau, you know, you have to expect that as well. Um, you know, I go back to Ron Wolf, what he wrote in the Packer way. He said, it may be cold, but so what? Playing in this kind of weather makes the Packers that much tougher and stronger. Let other clubs worry about coming into Lambeau Field and dealing with the conditions. Let's sell our team on embracing the conditions. The worse it gets, the better. And almost daring an opponent to beat us in November and December in Lambeau. Our goal was to make Lambeau the best home field advantage in the NFL. And I just feel like after the Vikings game and this Jaguars game that I'm almost questioning, is it best case scenario for the Packers to have home field in, in January and, in, you know, when you're trying to face some of these teams? Because we just based off of where COVID is at in Green Bay right now, I'm feeling fairly confident in saying that there's probably not going to be 
at least a lot of Green Bay Packer fans at Lambeau, if any, at this point. Um, and they just have not responded well to the conditions. They have not responded well to not having fans in the stands. I know that they've gone three and one at Lambeau so far, but it was really, you, you go back to the Detroit game to start the year. They started that game by losing or, you know, you know, getting off on the short end, 14 to three, the Lions uh, took the lead early in that game. They took, you know, care of Atlanta relatively early, but then they get, they lose to Minnesota and then really struggle. In fact, losing in the fourth quarter in this game to a, a Jaguars team that I think their front office would probably prefer the Jaguars lose at this point. So <laughs> it's, it's just a really tough thing to reconcile when you, you just wanted to see this team take the bull by the horns, show some actual intensity in the game, and you just didn't really see that even though they escaped with a win. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'm exactly to your point about Lambeau, and it's not like this is new for a lot of these players. I mean, I was at the Carolina Panthers game last season. It took me like five hours to drive home, and it was snowing, and, you know, they had the the really nice goal line stand to kind of seal up the game in the snow, and it just, it feels like a complete 180 from that kind of energy that we saw from this Packers team last season, and I don't know if the fans make that much of an impact for this team, that they just have a hard time getting things going without that noise and that atmosphere, but you know, you, you have to, good teams, great teams find ways to adjust to those things. And it feels like this is a Packers team that isn't really finding its own energy and its own juice without that just yet, which is kind of concerning when you think about some of these teams that they're going to be facing in the playoffs. Now, my, my question is, I, I'm really struggling to find exactly the issue that this team has because it, it's worth noting now at this point, they came out flat last year against the 49ers in the regular season. They came out flat against the Chargers in the regular season. Then again, against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl. Like, how do you come out flat in a game to go to the Super Bowl? And I think even Matt LaFleur after that game said it was concerning the fact that you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl and you come out flat. Then this year, there, there's a couple other ones. Again, the, the Lions, you know, going down 14 to three in that game, you know, you come out flat against Minnesota and you know end up losing that game. Really, they were flat against Tampa Bay to some extent, and then they come out flat against the Jaguars again. You have this really weird situation where Matt LaFleur and this team have been overall really freaking good through his tenure in Green Bay, you know, going to an NFC championship game a season ago. They're now, what, seven and two on this season. But you have these weird instances where they just don't have the juice. And it's weird to me because it seems like they have the veteran leadership on this team, whether it's Rogers, Mercedes Lewis, guys like David Bakhtiari on, on defense. You've got Adrian Amos, Darius and Preston Smith. Like th there's not a lack of, of veterans who are willing to take that leadership mantle. I know they lost Tremont Williams and Brian Bulaga, two of the real great, you know, leader, you know, leaders in locker room presences, you know, this past off season, but it just doesn't seem like they're lacking for that. I just, I'm, I'm at a loss to figure out exactly what's going on and, and why this kind of continues to happen. And I don't know if you have an answer, but I would, I would love if you did. <laughs> I would love if I did too, because I'd be on the phone to uh 1265 <laughs> Lombardi, but yeah, I mean, I think that that is, it, it's just interesting. And it's kind of something that I think all of us are scratching our heads at because you know, you, you look at it even from a fan perspective watching the game and it's like, okay, it's second and long on offense, they're going to run the ball. Or, oh, it's third and long on defense, they're going to rush two or three. Like, there's these predictabilities in in the offense and the defense that, you know, when you're watching, it's it's these tendencies that aren't going away and it just, it, it's not making a lot of sense. And, you know, I think about this Packers team and they were quote unquote winning ugly in 2019 and they made it to the NFC championship game. And I don't know if 
maybe after the first quarter of the season when we saw two 40 burgers in back-to-back weeks that we were like, okay, this is, this is going to be the identity of this 2020 team. And now we're kind of seeing a more realistic look at the end. We're not sure how to handle that yet because it's, you know, it's unlike what we saw in the beginning of the season, but you know, I just, it's, very different, I think, than the energy and the juice and the style of play that we saw the first couple of weeks from this team. Yeah, it really is. I think to some extent, the good news is, is, is you could tell Matt LaFleur was pissed off after this game and he was not happy with the energy and, and the intensity in this game whatsoever. Now, it's one thing to be pissed off about it and it's another to find a solution and make sure that it doesn't happen again. As we kind of noted, this isn't exactly the first time this has happened. It's a little bit too much of a trend at this point to kind of ignore. Uh, but you could tell that even in a win, that this was not something that he was you know, just taking for granted and saying, you know what, we won the football game and we'll take it. He was not happy with it and I'm hoping that he can kind of figure out a solution moving forward to make sure that this doesn't happen again because uh, there's a lot of important football games for this team left and both both LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst who, who did a press conference today as well you know kind of echoed the fact that you know, th- this Packers team's best football is still ahead of them. They haven't they haven't played that, you know, that complete game as of yet. I think that's fair, but they, they definitely still have some things that they need to get figured out. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like this is a Packers team that kind of historically plays down to their opponents. And I don't know if you just have a hard time getting amped up when you're playing a one and seven team and they're going to bring it. But some of the games that they've they've either dropped or come out really flat and are games that you think would be those key energy games like you know you're playing the Vikings a couple weeks ago and you come out with no energy and you know yes they almost rallied at the end but and I'm curious your thoughts on this kind of as we move forward eventually to um, to talk about the offense but I mean is this a team that has to play with a lead or they just kind of everything kind of implodes and the plan shrivels and they just don't know where to where to overcome that when they start playing from behind yeah, it's interesting because I, I definitely think there's a piece to that. Now, to some extent today, you can, I guess, give them some credit for coming from behind at the end and, and the Jaguars took the lead and they were able to to go down and score a touchdown to take the lead and ultimately win the game. I think you go back to the Detroit game earlier this year when they were down 14 to three, they were able to rally back, you know, come from behind and really take a, you know, kind of a commanding lead towards the end of that game as well. I just... I think it's an imperfect team. I think that they are at their best when their offense is in rhythm. And I don't think this defense has come close to finding its identity yet. And I think what this this Packers team ultimately, you know, kind of comes down to up until this point is kind of holding on for dear life on defense. They're usually very averse to turnovers. Rodgers generally doesn't throw picks. They very rarely fumble the football. And, you know, up to this point in the Matt LaFleur era, they haven't given up big plays on special teams. In some way, this was a bit of a... Um, you know, anomaly of a game and the fact that, you know, the, the turnovers came, the, the punt return for a touchdown came, it all kind of came in, in one game out. And it, it's weird. It's, you can't just like eliminate those from the game and say, well, outside of that, they actually played. Okay. You can't allow a punt return <laughs> for a touchdown and, and a pick and a fumble in your own, uh, you know, ba- you know, inside your own 20 yard line and those sort of things and expect to have a good game. But, you know, you look at it outside of a couple of those, you know, really negative plays. I, I thought the defense mostly looked okay. I thought the offense came up with plays when they needed to. Um, I thought Rodgers, the, the ball he threw to MBS was just absolutely spectacular. But, you know, this is a team that's going to win by not, you know, but in general, by not turning the ball over, playing within, you know, solid down and distances on offense. And until they find a identity on defense, I think there's going to be games like this because you, they just don't have 
the ability on defense just to completely shut teams down and have one of those top 10 defenses. And at some point, I think you're always kind of playing behind the eight ball in that regard. So I don't know if it's just that they're from behind. I don't know if they're just front runners or soft. I know a lot of people on Twitter calling them soft today. Um, but I do think that they still have a lot of issues that they need to kind of get cleared up and flushed out of their system before they can say, you know what, we're, we're a true contender, even though they have the best record in the NFC. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to CompScore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Term and conditions apply. Yeah, I mean, I think that this game really was kind of an anomaly. Like you said, you can't make those excuses, but we don't often see special teams look the way that they have. Devontae Adams never fumbles. He had a couple drops, so uncharacteristic. We had an Aaron Rodgers pick, which is so rare to see. I think he's thrown 10 interceptions since, like, December of 2017. So, you know, it it just felt like a really sloppy game overall. And I guess historically teams have one or two of those a season. And if the Packers had a couple sloppy games and this is it for them and, you know, Matt LaFleur is angry and this gives them kind of the measuring stick of what they need to improve on and then they can can go on a run like you know, if you have to get this out of your system, I understand it, but then you you can't go let it happen next week against the Colts or against the Bears. Like, this had to be it, and now we have to see marked improvement. Otherwise, you know, none of this really mattered, and you can't just call it an anomaly or say that it was a fluke. And I think that's, to me, what was most frustrating about this game is if the game against Minnesota didn't happen two weeks ago at home against a team with a losing record, then like, okay, maybe, you know, Jacksonville catches you by surprise. Maybe you took it a little bit for granted. But like literally when your last home game in almost the exact same conditions came just, you know, two weeks ago and you had the exact same thing happen to basically let it happen back to back. And and frankly and honestly, I think even if this was a Gardner Minshew led team instead of a Jake Luton led team, I think Jacksonville comes out of this game with a win. I, I I think Luton was really the big X factor in this game that allowed Green Bay to win, even though they, they played like a D minus effort and level game. But, um, you know, I, I, again, they have things to improve upon. And and hopefully this is the game that that makes it abundantly clear that they can't just come out and sleepwalk and, and expect to come out and, and steamroll teams. They're just not that good. And, and they have to put everything together from an effort, energy and intensity standpoint. Otherwise, again, this was ridiculously close to losing a, a game against the Jaguars, which, you know, could have cost them home field 
build and a buy and, and all those sorts of things. So we'll see. Hopefully they learn from it. Uh, we've got a lot to go over, though, still. And we'll kind of come back to breaking down the offense, defense and special teams in just a moment. But it's it's really weird in the fact that it's not often that the Packers have a game on a Sunday and it's not the biggest news of the day for the Packers. Uh, <laughs> we kind of get breaking news throughout the, the day from Pro Football Talk. I believe they were the first to break the news that David Bakhtiari indeed signs his contract extension, making him the highest played, uh, highest paid offensive lineman in all of football. Certainly well-deserved. I, I think this was probably the best news of the day if you're a Packers fan, but what was your initial reaction to this? Yeah, I mean, going into kind of this free agency class, my priorities had been, and I think, you know, most uh, most Packers fans would agree with me here that it was Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari and whatever else happens, like the rest is cake if you get those two players locked up. And the Packers have done that. And, you know, if you ask me, if you ask a lot of people, would you rather have like a Will Fuller or a David Bakhtiari. The smart money and the smart answer is David Bakhtiari. So I think that, you know, as much as Packers fans want Aaron Jones and maybe we see him come back, maybe they look at Corey Lindsley. Not sure what Kevin King's options even are at this point with his injury. But, you know, I think the Packers got the pieces that they needed to retain. And then whatever else happens is just kind of icing for this team that has to then prioritize Jair Alexander and Devontae Adams next offseason. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I've kind of said the same thing all along where to me, it is the elite players that ultimately get you over the hump and, and help win you Super Bowls. And, uh, you know, you it, it's not to say that, you know, Kevin King and Aaron Jones and Corey Lindsley and these guys aren't really damn good football players. But a lot of times you can find really good football players, but it is tough to find the best of the best, the all pros, the guys that are the best at their positions. And uh, I just think Corey or excuse me, David Bakhtiari is one of the best players in football at one of the toughest positions and most important positions in football. He is an elite NFL player. He completely changes the dynamic of the offensive line. I've mentioned this a few times now. I feel like putting together a five-man offensive line is very similar to putting together a five-person rotation in baseball, and you need your ace um, all, you know, within that. And David Bakhtiari is the ace of the five-man rotation for the Packers offensive line. And when you get that player, you do not let them go. I know he's going to go into his, you know, age 30 season uh, next year. He'll turn 30 next September. Uh, but we're seeing, I think uh, Trent Williams is one of the best offensive tackles in football. I think he's 32 right now. Um, Andrew Whitworth, who unfortunately today went out with what looked like a season-ending injury, uh, but he was having one of the best uh, seasons in the league for an offensive tackle. He was 38 going into this season. So it's not exactly a position that you can't play and have longevity with. David Bakhtiari is in phenomenal shape and he's earned it. He deserves it. And if there's anyone on this team that I feel like, you know, isn't going to, you know, get the bag and then just kind of quit on the team and say, (laughs) you know, let his foot off the gas. To me, it's David Bakhtiari. He's going to go out and try to earn every dollar that he, he made in this contract and just very excited to see him stay a Green Bay Packer. Yeah. I mean, especially going into the season, knowing that, Kenny and David were going to be the really expensive contracts. And there were kind of some thoughts like, oh, maybe they're only going to be able to sign one of the two. And who do you prioritize in that instance? So the fact that the Packers got both those deals done, you know, I, I don't think you could ask for much more going into free agency. Yeah. And I think, you know, Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball deserve a lot of credit. And I know, you know, a, a lot of people want to see them maybe make that all in move. And like you said, you know, maybe get like a Will Fuller at a trade deadline. But all of those decisions are made with these type of moves in mind. And if if all of a sudden getting somebody at a trade deadline or signing an additional free agent this past offseason, 
you know, makes you lose eventually a David Bakhtiari, a Kenny Clark, a Jair Alexander, a Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, the, the the fans would be all over, uh, you know, management for letting those guys walk out the door and sign deals elsewhere. So, you know, credit to them for being able to get both Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari back to the, you know, premier players that this team needed to resign. They got both deals done and, and hopefully both are going to be huge, you know, key pieces to this Packers team for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think that if anybody were to deserve that kind of contract, David Bakhtiari is that guy. He's always been, you know, a blue collar, put your put your head down and work kind of player. And to see him become the highest paid offensive lineman in history, like you can tell how significant that was to him and kind of one of the goals he'd always set for himself. And it was beyond well-deserved. It really was. And it, it, it's really telling as well that the Packers usually aren't in the business of giving out third contracts to offensive linemen. So the fact that not only A, did they give him one, but B, they gave him literally the highest paid offensive lineman deal in the history of football just tells you exactly how much they think of him as a player and a person in a locker room presence, everything like that. Uh, Rogers called him his best friend today. So, uh, you know, that probably doesn't hurt either, but uh, mm-hmm. it's certainly well-deserving. And uh, again, really excited to see him fi- hopefully finish out his career as a Green Bay Packer. Uh, let's kind of jump back to the game. I know we discussed a lot about the offense and defense and special teams already, Maggie, but let- let's just kind of drill a little bit deeper. Let's start by going over the offense. What were your biggest takeaways from the offense in this game? And uh, yeah, I'll just kind of start there. I mean, I think that MVS did everything that we wanted him to do in this game. And I know that last season or last game was his uh, first two touchdown game of his career. But, you know, we've seen the inconsistency there with some drops. And I think that this is just kind of adding on to the confidence that he had established last week. And he always says in his interviews that he never lacks for confidence. And Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have always hyped him up. And, you know, they express confidence in him. But I think that he was the guy today and he was everything that this offense needed him to be. And when you think about bringing Alan Lazard back and, you know, kind of working in Tunyon a little more and Jay Sternberger, you know, these are the pieces that you need. So whether MVS is wide receiver two, wide receiver three, opposite Devonte Adams, you know, Adams went out for a little bit towards the end of the game and luckily was able to come back in and just skyball a fantastic touchdown catch. But I think MVS kind of was the guy today for this offense and it was needed both from a confidence standpoint and for this offense moving forward to kind of see him as a contributing key piece, you know, in this offense moving forward. Yeah, I thought this was the most confident that MBS looked uh, as well in, in any game this season. And it, was, it wasn't just the touchdown catch, which um, was a phenomenal play. You just, you know, his pure raw athleticism kind of took over, but, you know, just kind of the, the confidence at the catch point as well in windy conditions. But then uh, the play where he sat down in zone coverage, picked up a first down while Rodgers was scrambling. I thought he ran really hard. It just looked like things slowed down a little bit for him today. And uh, I feel like we're at the point where um, – you know, MVS has done this uh, at least enough to say, like, let's pump the brakes a little bit and not say that, like, this is the breakout game that's going to make him a star moving forward. But um, I, I definitely thought that there was a little bit of a different feel to MVS in this game. And, and he came up big. And to me, he was the only player that I thought kind of brought his A game throughout the game. I know it was only four catches, but it was four important catches. His last uh, catch set up the, the you know, goal line situation or red zone situation where Adams caught the game winner as well. So just clutch plays at clutch times. The, the, some of the biggest playmaking plays, again, the big play down the field. I uh, just really liked what I saw at MBS in this game. Yeah, and I mean, I think that every week we can talk about Aaron Rodgers and the numbers that he's putting up and how impressive they are. And he's really just been on a tear with his touchdown numbers this season 
And compare, especially compared to last season, he's on pace to match like his best year as a starter. And he even ran one with his legs today. And I know that he had an uncharacteristic interception, but I think that, you know, it was just another week of Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. So what's not to like there as well? A million percent. And then I think the other interesting thing is, is the Devontae Adams game. It, it was kind of interesting. It was kind of like MVS and, and Devontae Adams flip-flopped. Usually MVS is the wild card. He gives you some ups and downs. And then Adams is the consistent one. Well, today MVS was the consistent one. And then Adams kind of gave you those ups and downs. You know, he had the couple uncharacteristic drops. He had the fumble uh, in deep in Green Bay's own territory, which was a huge play. And then like, you know, a couple like just frustrating plays, I'm sure for Adams, his touchdown that got called back was one of the most sick, disgusting routes. And then he high points the ball, just an absolute gorgeous play. And of course that gets called back for penalty on a penalty by Billy Turner. He also had another first down he picked up in the game that got called back due to offsetting penalties. Um, So he had some of that going for him. And then he, of course he goes out injured, gets everything taped up, goes back in. Rogers gave him a ton of credit for playing with the injury and then makes the game winning touchdown, you know, uh, catch at the end. Uh, I think, one, it's a huge testament to Devante that he made sure he got back in that game. And then, you know, two, delivered on that as well with a game-winning play. And it just also goes to show, you know, it's not always the mistakes that you make, but it's how you respond to them. I thought he came up huge when the Packers needed him most, game-winning touchdown, and uh, certainly makes you uh, forgive those those earlier mistakes uh, a lot easier when he comes back and does what he did at the end of this game. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's kind of part of this too is you know he still had eight receptions for 66 yards and a touchdown but when you're talking about the season that he's had and even the last couple seasons cumulatively it's like oh like it just doesn't jump off the stat sheet at you and eight receptions 66 yards still a solid day for any receiver but it's Devontae Adams who's in the conversation for one of the best in the NFL so you're just like oh okay like it was it was a good game but it's just not the Devontae that we're used to seeing him be. Yeah, he's kind of reached that Aaron Rodgers territory where you just expect so much that even like the hint of a mistake feels like uh, something way huger than probably what it was. But uh, definitely some plays I think Adams would like to have back. I think the, the really other interesting thing from an offensive standpoint, Green Bay really struggled to get the running game going. I thought uh, Jamal Williams ran hard and kind of picked up some yardage that was a little bit hidden and that he really had to work for. But Green Bay could never really get it going. I know uh, that the the Jaguars kind of stacked the box quite a bit. You saw a lot of eight-man boxes. They were going to make Green Bay beat them uh, on the outside in windy conditions. But uh, it was really noticeable that Green Bay struggled to get any sort of run game going with any level of consistency. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You could get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I agree. And I think some of the some of the run calling, like, you know, second and long, it's like, okay, it's predictable. And just the runs up the gut, they had, um, what was it, a, a fourth down attempt or it was third and one. And 
I think it was the fourth down where Aaron Jones just got stuffed behind the line and it was like, okay, well that, that hadn't been working. So, you know, to, to try it. And I don't know if, you know, Matt LaFleur addresses some of those things. I didn't have a chance to listen to his presser yet, but it just seems sometimes like, you know, I don't know if it's him sticking too closely to the script, but there's like an unwillingness to, I guess, think of something different. So when, when run one style isn't working for this offense, it's almost like they keep it going until until they're for sure that it doesn't work instead of just branching out and going off script a little bit and kind of, you know, seeing if they can get something going in a different way. Yeah, it sounded like uh, based on his press conference and I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit here, but it sounded like with Swerve going down and then with Adams being out for a chunk that like yeah. it really kind of threw him off with who was it, you know, who was out there and what plays they were able to run and he he was, you know, clear as well that he need you know, they need to do a little bit better job of preparing and knowing that injuries can hit at any time and being better prepared for those situations. But um, even then, it, it seems like even more of a better opportunity to maybe get uh, Williams and Jones a little bit more involved and, in, in, you know, hopefully the offensive line can, you know, clear a little bit more uh, of a pathway for those guys. But that just didn't happen. And again, I guess credit the Packers for still coming away with a win. And um, it's it's worth noting as well. And it's it, it can't be an excuse. And I think we've covered that already, you know, verbatim at the beginning of this episode. But when you have these type of conditions, it really takes the Packers biggest advantages in this game where Aaron Rodgers versus Jake Luton and the, the Jaguars with one of the worst pass rushes and, and a defensive backfield that's been a little bit leaky. And it really mitigates it more than you would like into coming, you know, more James Robinson versus Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And uh, I think because of that, it's it's why this uh, part of the reason why this game was a little bit closer, uh, because, again, with the, the wind conditions and things the way that they were, it just didn't allow the Packers really to, to play to a lot of their strengths. And it really, you know, mitig- you know, mitigated a lot of the Jaguars weaknesses as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think going into this week, I had thought that. I, I predicted a blowout. Like I thought that there was no way that this was going to be a Packers team that would come up and put up less than 30 something points against a struggling Jaguars team. But I think part of the reason I thought that even with the weather being a factor was, you know, the Packers didn't have Aaron Jones for the Vikings game. So I felt like just what we saw the Packers able to do. And yes, it was against the 49ers team that was just decimated with injuries, but the tandem of Aaron Jones and Tyler Irvin, and that's no disrespect to Jamal Williams because he's played excellent this season, but kind of that unique tandem in the motion and the things that they're able to do with two of those really dynamic running backs. I thought we'd see a lot of that against Jacksonville. So even if the weather conditions weren't great, it felt like the Packers would still be able to do something with their ground game. And I don't think we saw enough of that yesterday to to really get a gauge on kind of what was missing from the offense. No, I think that's spot on. Right, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. This is a really interesting game for me for the defense, and I'm really excited to watch the All-22 and kind of see how things shake out a little bit as I kind of do my grades for the week. But they end up with three sacks, six pass breakups, an interception. They really only allowed 13 points because one of the touchdowns was, of course, the punt return for the touchdown. Um, and in 10 of the other points were off a turnover. So one, the Adams fumble led to a touchdown deep in their own territory. And the, the Rodgers interception, which was again in plus territory ended up in only a field goal so those are 10 more points allowed they only allowed three points on a, on a full drive all game long the Jaguars were four of 13 on third down only had 151 net passing yards Amos had the big interception like there there were some good things that this defense did I go back to the fact that I think a lot of this was because it was Jake Luton and not a very good Jaguars offense but 
Um, I, I actually think in this case, there was some positives to take away, even in a in a weirdly bizarre defensive game. Yeah, I agree. And I think going into this game, one of my biggest concerns was this Packers secondary not having Kevin King and not having Jair Alexander. And by all accounts, you know, the Packers pretty much locked up that that wide receiving core for Jacksonville most of the game. And, you know, kind of watching it back, I, I did agree with, you know, pretty much everything you said about, you know, not giving up a ton of points. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to go back and do a rewatch and kind of see what the pressure looked like in certain situations. But I think one of the biggest issues that remains for this defense is even if they're not giving up a ton of points, it's just the chunk yardage in the run game and the missed tackles. I think that that was still evident, even though holistically maybe the defense performed better than we maybe saw on the TV broadcast on Sunday. I can't remember a play where James Robinson didn't fall forward for at least at least <laughs> one, if not two more yards on every you know single play where he got brought down like he consistently fell forward and I don't think a player on the Packers laid a hit on him that was able to stop him in his tracks all game long yeah and they had what two holding calls that um, took away two would have been touchdowns rushing touchdowns so outside of that yeah it was it was not great (laughs) by the defense Yeah, like I said, it's it's why it's one of those perplexing games where, you know, the again, the tackling wasn't great. And uh, a lot of those things you would have liked to have seen uh, just be cleaned up a little bit more. But the the end results, you know, were actually fairly decent. So, again, I'm, I'm really intrigued to go back and look at this game in greater detail from a defensive side. Maggie, this is not going to surprise you, I don't think. The one touchdown they did allow uh, came on a three-man rush, uh, which has been <laughs> a little bit of an issue so far this season. So I went back and I quickly looked at every single play in the red zone where the Packers had a three-man rush. Um, and it goes like this, touchdown, touchdown, incomplete pass, touchdown, pass interference, drop touchdown, touchdown. So four touchdowns, an incomplete pass, a pass interference, and a drop touchdown because it was River Craycraft and not an actual human being wide receiver that should have been (laughs) in that game for the 49ers. But uh, it has not worked in any way, shape, or form. Technically, technically, there was one more incompletion against the Saints uh, that Kevin King probably should have got called uh, pass interference for. And on the very next play uh, was one of those touchdowns that I just mentioned, also against the three-man rush. So no matter what, no matter how you look at this, it has been an absolutely brutal play for the Packers defense this season coming with a three-man rush. Even Jake Luton was able to pick it apart for a touchdown today. Is it time where enough is enough with the three-man rush in the red zone? It absolutely is. And I tweeted this earlier uh, in the game and I said, or it was on the fourth and 26, it was the final play of the game. And I said that that's everything that you want from 55, 97, 91, and 52. You know, they had the back-to-back sacks from Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith to kind of seal the game. And they had, what, a four-man rush, and it worked. And I know that they kind of forced the Jaguars into that situation, and, you know, they weren't obviously going to hand the ball off to James Robinson to break a million tackles against this Packers defense. But you have four really good pass rushers, and you're not using them to rush, rush the passer, and it just... You know, I think that it's it's just confusing kind of what we're seeing from Mike Patton and how he's utilizing some of these guys because he's got the players and they should be in better position to make plays and they're just not. And, you know, I don't know. I'm curious kind of what your thought is on this. I know you've spoken about this, you know, on other episodes of the show, but, you know, is it a personnel issue? Is it solely on the coordinator? Is it a little bit of both? But kind of what's going on with that front seven and that ability or that inability to generate pressure? You know, I... Ultimately, to me, it comes down to coaching. And and the reason that I say that is when I look at coaching, 
I look at how many players on the roster are are either underachieving, achieving, or overachieving. And ultimately, to me, that's what it comes down to is, is we kind of have a baseline expectation for each of these players coming into the season. And when I look at this defense as a whole, I think you can make an argument that even though Jair, we knew was a stud, I think you can still say that he might be overachieving a little bit uh, with just how well he is playing. Um, I think you could say, you know, Adrian Amos is probably achieving. I think Darnell Savage is underachieving. Um, I think at the cornerback position, you know, Kevin King's tough to grade just because he's been out so many games. Um, Josh Jackson, you can maybe say achieving. Uh, Chandon Sullivan, I think achieving. I think the entire inside linebacker group, for the most part, is underachieving, save for maybe Kamal Martin, just because we haven't had enough on tape of him yet. Um, at edge rusher, I think everyone's underachieving at inside uh, interior defensive line outside of maybe Montrevious Adams. I think you can make an argument that everyone's underachieving. So like at some point, the coaches ha- are, are responsible for getting the best out of the, the individual players on the field. And I just don't know that there are enough players, especially on the defensive side of the ball that I can look at and say, you know what, they're getting the best out of those players. Now, if you want to say that that's just peer coaching and, and the, the individual position coaches need to coach better. If you want to say, you know what, that's uh, scheme and, and the scheme's not setting up those players to be successful, that that is a tougher thing to answer. But what, ultimately, at the end of the day, as a coaching staff from from scheme to players to, uh, to coaching the players, etc., it's it's about getting the most out of your players and putting them in positions to be successful. And yes, at some point, you know, Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, those guys have to go out and play and make plays. And if they're not, it makes it tough on a, on a scheme. Any scheme and a defensive coordinator, but I just haven't seen enough players either achieving or overachieving on this defense to say, you know what, I feel good about where this Packers coaching staff is from a defensive side, from the defensive side of the ball so far this year. Yeah, and I mean, I think like a lot of the responses that I got to that tweet saying this is what you want from your four studs in the front seven was where was it all game? And I totally, totally understand that perspective. And I think there's kind of two sides to that where the Packers needed a play. And their guys gave him a play, but there there is a lack of consistency. So where was this pass rush? Was it that Mike Pettin didn't call a four man rush for the entirety of three and a half quarters, and then <laughs> on the Jaguars' final drive, you know, he put it together? Or you know, was it that the guys were in position and they weren't making plays? So I think that that's kind of you know, and when we go back and watch the All 22, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Is is are we seeing enough from the defense, or is it solely? Or I guess you can't lump anything as solely, but is it really, like you're saying, with the coaching staff not putting the guys that they have in position to be successful regardless of, you know, kind of how they're lined up? And and here's the other thing I'll say, too, is when I when I evaluate coaches as well, uh, well again, one is how many players are overachieving or underachieving on, on an in, in, you know, any given team. The other thing that I look at is how much is your scheme able to just generate plays for your offense in and of itself? So we've seen multiple times this year where Matt LaFleur has come up with a creative play on in goal line situations where he has schemed open players on key third downs. You know, today Devontae Adams had a play where he's chilling wide open on a crossing pattern. Like we have seen Matt LaFleur able to scheme up plays to make his offense successful and not make anyone really have to do any heavy, heavy lifting. It's on him. It's on any offensive coordinator in my, you know, 
opinion, to to generate a handful of plays each game that are going to be successful based off of what they find on tape and, and really exploiting some weaknesses that they're able to identify throughout the course of the week. And that was one of the real key things. And I, I've been a huge or I was a huge supporter of Mike McCarthy overall. But towards the end of his era, you didn't see that anymore from Mike McCarthy. You didn't see him do some of that heavy lifting and find ways to get some of his players open and, and do some of that heavy lifting on his end. And now it's the same thing on the defensive side. It's really interesting that you go back to 2018 in Mike Patton's first year here. I loved what Mike Patton was doing because he didn't have anybody on defense that was playing at a high level, but he came up with about two or three blitzes or different schemes per game that really put the opposing offense in, in tough situations forced a lot of sacks and a lot of bad plays and a lot of turnovers. And with what he was given, I thought he did a really great job. And it's the exact opposite these last couple seasons, and especially this season. I don't see anything. When he dials up a blitz, it's like the offense knows that it's coming. And uh, I just don't see that you know he's all of a sudden figuring an, an opposing offense out and coming out with a great way to stop or come up with a big play. I need to see a couple of those each week from Mike Patton where he schemes a free rusher and is able to get a sack for him. Like It, it doesn't have to be you know, 10 plays a game. I'm not asking for that, but uh, every once in a while, a play where he gets a free blitzer on the quarterback would be nice. In fact, the only one I can think of was Jair Alexander. And that wasn't something that Patton called on the safety play earlier this year. That was Jair Alexander basically ad-libbing because he blitzed kind of on accident. So I just need to see more in that regards. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was literally the play that I was thinking of where that's the perfect opportunity to bring pressure. And Jair just kind of risked it all and ended up obviously making a play, but you know, that could have backfired, but that's kind of what you need. And, you know, the dog mentality of a defense is bringing pressure and kind of having that mindset that you're not going to let anybody beat you. And Jair brought that. And that's just kind of something that, like you said, has been missing from this defense as a whole. And, you know, I know that you like you can't say that guys like Zadarius and Preston don't want to go eat and get after the quarterback. And they're just it seems like when they finally have those opportunities they're they are capitalizing for the most part and I know Preston's kind of been under some scrutiny this season and he hasn't necessarily looked up to what we saw last season but you know I thought he had one of his better games of the season against the 49ers he forced an interception and just when they're in those opportunities to be successful I think that they're finding success but it's just are they set up in a way to kind of make those plays or you know I think it's kind of what com what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Are the players in a position to be successful, or you know, kind of like you've said already, is it is it the coaching staff and them not scheming these guys into a way to be successful to where they do go the Jair route and they have to ad lib, and then that's kind of where the turnovers and where the, these big production plays come from. And to your point, I, I I actually think that Green Bay's defense needs to take a few more risks. I think they've been so risk averse and trying not to give up big plays. You want to get this team some energy and you want to get them going early in the game and you want to get some of these defensive players jacked up, like bring some blitzes, get home to the quarterback, like allow them to kind of go out and dictate rather than doing a lot of this three man rush and, you know, even just four man rush with seven man coverage and simple cover two stuff, like spice it up a little bit, throw some, throw the kitchen sink at some of these quarterbacks and see how they respond. And um, I just think they've been too vanilla for too long now. And 
I understand why they kind of got in that situation going back to last season, because towards the end of last season, you didn't need to do anything other than bring Kenny, Zedarius, and Preston on any given play, because those three guys were getting home almost no matter what. And if that's happening, yeah, cover with eight, because you, you don't need to do anything else. But that's not exactly the same this season, and I just think you need to spice things up and, and change it up a little bit and get uh, get some of these players a little bit more involved and, and see what kind of happens and and maybe not play quite so vanilla. All right, a few other things I want to get to. Let's discuss special teams really quick because I, I, I feel like this is a, a major piece to this story. Not only the punt return for the touchdown, but the field position was really a key factor in this game as well. It seemed like Green Bay was starting deep in their own end multiple times. Credit to Jacksonville for downing, you know, kicks. But, you know, uh, Tyler Irvin had the the struggle on the one kick where he had trouble fielding it. I don't think he got past the 20. And um, just Jaguars seem to consistently have better field position than the Packers in this one as well. Yeah, and I mean, special teams and just in general, you know, kind of where the Packers had some of their turnovers, you know, it seemed like the Jaguars were working with a lot of short fields, and it felt like this was a Packers team that had to work for their points, and a lot of that was due to those special teams plays, but you know, I think it was a rough game for J.K. Scott, and I, I'm sure that he's going to be gifted into oblivion um, with his lack of <laughs> tackle effort on his uh, punt return, but you know, I I think that obviously the wind didn't help, and he's kind of been doing double duty on kickoffs as well for Mason Crosby while he heals up. But I think it was just a lackluster performance all around, and I think it's kind of hard to pinpoint one specific thing. But I know Pat McAfee of all people, because of course it would be him. He had a, a photo on uh, Twitter that was just five guys in one rushing lane, and it's yep. just and that I don't know if, you know if that was a blown play or what kind of happened there but when you don't have some of your stalwarts on the field I don't know if that's kind of part of it or if it's just you know this was just kind of all around chaotic for this Packers team and that was kind of their one blip as a special teams unit because I know not having Tyler Irvin out there was significant yeah, it really was. And I, and to some extent, yes, when you have a bunch of injuries, then all of a sudden, you know, I, I noted on that one special teams on that punt return, you've got guys like Henry Black, practice squad call up, Cavarier Russell, practice squad call up, like Randy Ramsey. Like it's it's not a lot of, uh, you know, big name players, which normally it's not going to be on special teams, but these are guys who are like called up, you know, just this week and, and things like that. So that, that definitely plays a part of it. But Matt LaFleur was asked about that as well. And he basically said no excuses, regardless of who's out there, they need to go out and perform and, and play better and coach better. So uh, he certainly wasn't making any excuses based on who was out there, but that definitely plays a part. The the low line drive from, from uh, J.K. Scott, didn't uh, necessarily help he had a couple other really short punts as well so uh, definitely something that again you know whether it's conditions or whatever else just needs to get kind of cleaned up for Green Bay um, again this is Green Bay Wisconsin you're going to play in poor conditions and uh, got to get that figured out in some way shape or form all right we can probably go uh, lightning round through the rest of this Maggie so we can kind of get out of here but uh, <laughs> play of the game for you uh, my Two are going to be back to back. It's the same person, but I I got to think that it's it's the MVS uh, 78 yard touchdown. The way that he used the ref as a natural pick <laughs> was just I got up out of my chair. It was so phenomenal, and I think that that's what the offense needed. It's what MVS needed, and I think that we're going to see more of that moving forward this season. And then, uh, yeah, I think we're both going to be on the same page here. That was my play of the game as well. However, I, I again, just ca I can't say enough that the route and play by Devontae Adams on the touchdown that didn't count was would have been the play. Of the, well, maybe not the play of the game. I think MBS maybe still has it. But like that's the one that like gets me out of my seat and nerding out because of just how <laughs> gorgeous of a play it is from Devontae Adams. So I know it'll never be in the box score. It'll never be in his, you know, um, 
all pro highlight reel or whatever, but uh, it deserves it de- deserves some sort of shout out nonetheless because it was an absolute work of art and I loved every second of it. And I- I'm going to go ahead and assume uh, that your player of the game is MBS as well. Just Yeah, just because I feel like he needs it. You know, I feel like the last couple weeks have been really cathartic for MBS as an NFL player. Yeah, same here. I also had MBS, although I had an honorable mention to Jake Luton. Uh, again, I feel like <laughs> if anyone else besides Jake Luton is potentially leading that team, this would have been a much more difficult game. You know, he had the really nice pass, whether it was a three-man rush or not. That was a ridiculous throw uh, through coverage for the touchdown. Uh, but he missed the the one where Darnell Savage was a little bit uh, late in getting to DJ Chark down the field. That could have been a touchdown. There were some other opportunities just to kind of make some simple completions that he didn't hit on. I think he was below 50% passing for the day. I know it was windy. I know it was ugly conditions, but uh, th- that was a poor performance from Jake Luton and uh, didn't even look as good as what he looked a week ago against the Texans. And again, give the Packers some credit defensively as well. All right, let's take a look at the injuries really quick. Uh, we already you know, talked about Devontae Adams. Uh, he gets the ankle injury. He comes back. Darnell Savage also left for a little bit, had to you know, kind of be helped off the field. Uh, he ends up coming back and playing the rest of the game as well. The only injury that I'm aware of that uh, you know, didn't come back and play in some capacity uh, was Swerve Tyler Irvin. Um, it was actually on that play from what I could tell where uh, you know David Bakhtiari came to defend him and kind of threw Miles yeah. Jack off and Miles Jack <laughs> flopped into oblivion. Um, from what I can tell, that was the play. It was a rib injury. He got hit really ridiculously hard on that play, um, did not return, and that's definitely going to be one to monitor moving forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of quickly, the thing with that, too, is we kind of saw what this offense looks like without Tyler Irvin, and he's such a key piece, and you never want your offense to become one note, but he's such a contributor, and he's so vital to a lot of that motion that Matt LaFleur likes to run that if it does become a long-term thing, I'm curious to see how Matt LaFleur game plans for that, and if he kind of learned from the last time he didn't have Irvin on offense. It's it's really interesting to me, too, and I, I know there's not exactly a lot of players who are kick returner, punt returner, slot, you know, receiver type players, that you know, those gadget type players. But like the fact that you have a 53 man active roster and a 16 man practice squad and like you don't have anybody that can even like is like a really good returner, like on the practice squad to pull up in those type of situations. And you got to do kind of like Malik Taylor as a kick returner and Josh Jackson as a punt returner. Like it just seems to, is like Tavon Austin not out there somewhere like where you can find one of these players who can do a, like a little bit of that <laughs> stuff. Um, it, it just seems weird that they don't have anyone that can kind of take that place. Maybe they can find someone and add them to the practice squad this week, especially if it's any sort of severe injury. Hopefully it's nothing major, but um, even if he's out a week or two, it's a, it's a big loss because of all the versatility that he has. And maybe more importantly, just because they don't have anyone like him on the roster. Yeah, and I, I kind of thought Darius Shepard could be that guy. He was, I, I thought he was a healthy scratch this week. I don't think he was dealing with any type of injury. So the fact that he wasn't even playing or available in the game, I think he maybe could have been that guy for them had he been activated. But knowing that he was a game day inactive, I think that that kind of played a role in some of that as well. Yeah, he was questionable going into the game. So it could have been either, you know, he did practice, I believe, on Friday. So um, it wasn't necessarily a, uh, we don't know if it was injury related or not, but he did at least have a questionable designation going into that game. But who knows? Uh, We don't know at this point. All right, let's quickly look ahead to Indianapolis. Uh, What are your kind of key things that you're going to be watching for as Green Bay heads to Indianapolis? I've been told by uh, Mark Eckel here on the Packaday podcast, and I don't think he would lead me astray that the Packers have never won in Indianapolis. I think he said they're 0-4 all time. I haven't had a chance to confirm that yet, but I trust Mark. So uh, that's number one I'm looking for is can they actually get a win there? 
Um, I think I'll be looking for two things. One, you know, this is a really good Colts defense. So kind of how does the offense respond to that? And two, uh, which Phillip Rivers are we getting? Because I think that that's going to play a huge role in the game. Um, We saw Phillip Rivers did not have a fantastic season last season, but his one, you know, Hall of Fame explosive lights out game was against the Packers when he was with the Chargers. So, you know, which version of Phil is going to be on the field on Sunday? I think what we should decide this game with is a open field tackling competition. Philip Rivers <laughs> versus J.K. Scott. Uh, who can make the first tackle in an open field against an explosive returner? Because in back-to-back weeks, those were the two most ridiculous tackle attempts I think I've ever seen in the history of the NFL. So uh, we'll see if either of them are put in that position next week. Um, and then also just obviously looking at Indy's front four, led by DeForest Buckner. They've been so ridiculously good. It is If you think it's tough uh, running against Jacksonville's front, uh, it is going to be a nightmare running against Indianapolis's front. And then anytime I get the opportunity to watch Quentin Nelson, I am all in on that as well. So those are just a, a few things that I'll be looking for and again hoping to see Green Bay be able to actually come away with a win in Indianapolis all right uh, final thoughts for this week Maggie um it kind of looked bleak in some moments I'm glad the Packers were able to play from behind because I think that's what we wanted to see from this this team and I know that it wasn't high energy and there were a lot of concerns but Um, I think that it can be a get right game for the same reason a blowout win would be a get right game. And sometimes those blowout wins mask some of your deficiencies as a team. So, yes, it was a one in seven Jacksonville team coming in. But I think that it showed the Packers what they needed to improve on still to contend with some of those really good teams. And Matt LaFleur knows now if he didn't know already kind of what this team really needs to emphasize. So maybe it's because I'm an eternal optimist and I'm the glass is always more than half full, especially when it comes to something I love like the Packers. But I do think that this is a teachable game for this Packers team. And I think that it's showing them what they need to improve on in the back half of the season. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think those are great takeaways. And, and hopefully that's the case. Uh, my final thoughts were more just NFL related. I thought this was a really tough week for the Seahawks. Not only do they <laughs> lose, but literally every other uh, contending team wins. Green Bay wins, Tampa Bay wins, uh, the Saints win, although the Drew Brees injury will definitely be worth monitoring moving forward. Um, and then but in their division as well, uh, the Cardinals get the ridiculous play from DeAndre Hopkins uh, to win that, that game. And then, of course, the Rams win against Seattle as well. So not only do they suffer the the division loss, but I think they actually moved to third in their division from from number one in the NFC to third in their division in one week with one loss is uh, is a tough pill to swallow. But they've got some demons that they need to exercise as well with their defense. And, and really, it's almost like a, a one man, not one man show, but it's like a one trick pony with uh, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett. That's a really good trick to have, but they're not exactly a great running team. They don't have a great run defense. They don't have a great pass defense by any means. In fact, it's probably the worst pass defense in football so they've definitely got some things to clean up and it was a very tough week for them definitely feel like this conference is going to be tough and I still cannot believe that Bill O'Brien thought it was smart to trade DeAndre Hopkins away (laughs) especially for David Johnson Uh, just an absolutely crazy I I tweeted out it was like the uh, Bucks trading Ray Allen for Gary Payton all over again I just uh, some of these moves that some general managers make and are allowed to get away with is is crazy and even even to a greater extent I can't believe and I, I a part of this sounds like it was Bill O'Brien not calling around with DeAndre Hopkins either but the fact like that nobody else was able to like come in and be like you know what we'll, we'll give you more than David Johnson in a third round pick or whatever it was like that that whole thing just blows my mind still one of the best players in football 
Yeah, and some really good games. You know, the Bears-Vikings tonight. The Vikings are coming in hot. Bears have kind of stalled the last couple weeks. And then Thursday Night Football, Cardinals and Seahawks. So a couple really, really good games and some important games in the NFC kind of on deck that Green Bay will be keeping a close eye on. Who you who do you want in that one? Do you want Bears to win and just kind of finish off the Vikings? Or do you want Vikings to win and... Um, in a way, finish off the Bears, I feel like, but like at the same time, maybe give the Vikings a little bit of life. I mean, I genuinely feel like I hate the Vikings more as a team, so I, I try really hard to not root for them. But ideally here, we have the Vikings beat the Bears, and then both teams fall out of playoff contention where they just kind of hover around like seven and nine. So <laughs> that's, that's where think- I'm going. I think I want the Bears to win just because I feel like the Vikings aren't going to make any mass changes anyway, and they might not even take a quarterback because of the Kirk Cousins deal. Whereas, like, if the Bears continue to lose out, they're going to actually, like, completely rebuild that team and fire Nagy and fire Pace and go get a quarterback. <laughs> and, like, I just want them to stay in purgatory as long as possible. So uh, I'm okay with the Bears getting a win and uh, just maybe uh, putting that uh, rebuild off maybe a, a year more. So uh, I'm going to go with that, and I just think that the Vikings are starting to find themselves a little bit and maybe a loss would finally put that that final dagger into them so never fun cheering for the bears but i think that's what i'm going to do on monday night football all right maggie you are amazing for joining me on such late notice i greatly appreciate it tell us again where we can follow you on twitter and where we can find all your work yeah, this was a blast. Thanks for letting me come on last minute. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. I write two articles a week for Cheesehead TV. I also podcast with the wonderful Perry Goldstein for PAX What She Said. And on Monday uh, at 6 p.m. Lambo time, you can catch me and Perry on a live show for Game on Wisconsin called Happy Hour, where we drink beer and talk about football. So a lot of good stuff going on. And oh, yeah, I'm also on the Thursday uh, Pack-A-Day podcast cruise. <laughs> <laughs> You are living the dream and doing a ton of great stuff. Anytime you can drink beer with Perry and talk football, that's uh, that's as good as it gets. So <laughs> keep up the amazing work. Uh, you guys are doing such an awesome job, uh, really uh, not only on, on PAX, what she said, but on happy hour as well. Uh, your crew on Thursdays are absolutely amazing. So just keep up everything that you're doing. You're one of the, the really great ones uh, in Packers Nation. I can't appreciate you anymore. Keep up the tre- tremendous work. If you don't follow Maggie already, make sure to follow her on Twitter. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for us today. Uh, we'll have an all new episode for you tomorrow, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.